Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Welcome, 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 and uh, glad that you have joined us uh, today as we continue on our series on pillars. Uh, Pillars are are the five key components or five key uh, values as a church that we're looking at to uh, be healthy, vibrant individually uh, and collectively as a church. Well, what is a pillar? A pillar is a person or thing regarded as reliably providing essential support for something, right? We think of the pillars that hold up this building that I'm standing in or even the building that you are in right now. And these pillars are essential to hold this thing up in the same way these five pillars are essential to hold you up. Um, And you, as a pillar, is also essential to hold this church up. Those five pillars that we've been talking about are prayerful, biblical, grateful, unified, and aligned. Last time we looked at prayerful, and so today we're going to look at the, the pillar of being biblical. Now, before we address that, we also have to kind of speak to a certain elephant in the room as it comes to this issue of being biblical. I'm talking about distractions. Uh, the Barna Group recently uh, looked at trends of Bible reading as, a, as after the pandemic. And what it found was that uh, there was a dramatic drop in biblical engagement of a Bible reading that happened during the pandemic. Now, one would be surpri- might be surprised by that because people on average tended to have more discretionary time than before. But if you are one of those that maybe whose rhythms got knocked out or who, who, who maybe got, just got a little bit distracted, then you could understand why that might be the case. You're in good company with many. You know, when I think about how things have been just different over the last few years. I think about the reality that there was a time, you remember when we used to have home phones, <laughs> uh, that that was like common and normal. And, and you would have this thing called a home phone that was, was connected to a wire or a cord. And if you were having a family dinner or some type of discussion with someone and the phone started to ring, this home phone that everyone could hear and listen to, uh, I feel like I'm talking about another age <laughs> long ago that you could say, uh, people would say, you know, just let the phone ring. The answer machine will pick it up or just just let it ring and go. Back then, it was a lot easier to focus on the task at hand, which often involved it connecting with the person that was in the room, whether that was over dinner or some other type of meeting or or, or something else. But that has all changed when texting started. Check this out. In 1995, the average American texted in the course of a month 0.4 times, not even one text. By the year 2000, that had changed to 35 texts per month on average across the U.S. In 2018, that number changed to 2,819 texts per month. 
And don't get me started on teens. Uh, That number skyrockets when you look at that. But in 2018, the actual number of texts outnumbered the number of calls that people began to have. We text now regularly as a form of communication. And what we also have found is that now we can be in person at dinner eating and actually be distracted from the person who's right in front of us because we're having communication with somebody else who's not in the room. Texting has a way of, of, of distracting because there's something you can't ignore a text, right? And it's understandable because you know when you get a text, there's, there's something personal about it. Sometimes it could be even urgent, but there's something that's directly related to you, a quick message that is sent directly to you. So much so that people don't really ask the question, did you read my text? They ask, did you get my text? Because the assumption is if you got it, then you would have read it. Well, like the text that we oftentimes get, there's another type of text that if we would have read on a regular basis, we could have avoided a lot of emergency situations. This is a text that could have text that would have saved us a lot of money, would have helped us with relationship decisions, and maybe even career decisions. And like the text that you will receive this week, and maybe even during this message, it's personal, relevant, and from someone who knows you and has your best in mind. This text message is one that people highly regard, but rarely read. And it's something that gives us insight about God, who actually is the one who made us, and so we can get connected to the one who created us, and therefore knows how we're supposed to work the best. You know, it's always best to go and look at the instructions when you want to see how something was designed and was made. But we'll we'll get to that a little bit later. But we refer to this text as a Bible. And whether you are reading it digitally or in a paper form, it offers to us God's word, his perspective, his view on life. And when you read it, you begin to see everything differently. And I do mean everything whether that's career or money or relationships or sex or life or death or children or wisdom and anger, conflict, everything God has something to say has been written in his word. But there's a challenge for us because we have a choice to make about which voices will shape our perspective. Um, I'll I, I, I tell you, Romans, in the text, it tells us this way, Romans 12 and 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In this verse, what Paul is saying is that we have two choices, either be conformed to this world or be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And and the thing that's so significant about that is what that's saying is whether we know it or not, that we are being shaped. Conform means to be molded, to be influenced, to be in some way uh, just moved into a certain direction, whether we know it or not. And and, And that's happening. That is our default setting is to be conformed to this world. But there's another option. The other option is to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which comes from engagement with being biblical. And that's what we call our factory reset. 
You see, that's, that's when we get to have a, a reset that, that transforms and changes everything, hits a reset button and allows us to build from scratch a perspective on the world. And I've learned not to trust my interpretation on things because um, it's often wrong, right? Like we've all seen people who we look at and you go, you're very smart, you have good intentions, but you make really bad decisions. And, and I can think of t- more than one or two or 10 or 20 or 100 times where I fit in that category. And so whether you're a Christian or not, that you are being influenced by this world and you're being influenced by ideas and perspectives about how to live life that you may not even be aware of. It might be your grandma. It might be your favorite artist. It might be an athlete or an activist, but somebody has a perspective on the world that is shaping you. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who regard themselves as free thinkers and say, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't conform myself to any other thoughts in the world. You know what I mean? And as a result of that, I've rejected organized religion. And, you know, I just kind of look at my own sources and and I weigh everything out. (laughs) And I go, don't you realize I've just talked to 20 other people who say the exact same thing. Isn't it interesting that everybody likes organized things except for religion. All of a sudden that has to be disorganized. Like all of a sudden now it can't make sense. It's better when everyone is separate and apart. But ironically, There's an ethic and an ethos in this world that has a skepticism toward institutions. And again, we have enough reason to be able to critique institutions, but the very rejection of them out of the idea of rejecting authority is misplaced because what we find is that we replace that authority with another authority, meaning ourselves. But with our authority, we don't even realize we're being influenced by other things and other people. So I'm going to try to do everything in my power over the next few minutes that we have to get us to crack open this book, this this, this basic instructions before leaving earth, this Bible, so that we can understand the value of being biblical. Are y'all with me? All right. So in that word biblical, to help us kind of track with it and and to remember, uh, I'm going to use the the acronym and so that you can kind of put a letter for each value or each factor of why it's important. So the B in being biblical, the first B stands for believe God. Somebody say believe God. Believe God. This is what Romans 10, 17 says. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Faith Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, hearing the word. That our very aspect of being able to be engaged in in God and trusting God to believe God is activated when we read his word. Well, why is that? Well, we kind of know something intrinsically that the best indication of a future behavior is a past behavior. Like we, we know this, this is why when, when we go to jobs, right? Like uh, you, 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 you fill out a resume, you create a resume and, 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 the, and the employer looks at your resume and they say, okay, because you did these things in the past, I can anticipate that you will do these things for me in the future. Uh, the same thing happens in, in, in a relationship, in a date. If you, you, know, you, 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 you go out to somebody and they, they just tell you about sh- situation after situation. Yeah, I was engaged for the last five times and I broke it off five, five times. because you, And you kind of go, hmm, I don't know about this. Because past indication uh, is the best way of determining future behavior. Well, when we open up the Bible, we see God's resume. So when you ask a question, do, does God speak to those that other people ignore? 
You see his resume of, of a person named Hannah who, who, who was despised by, by her husband because she was barren. And, and God, it says, heard her cry, saw her, and, and gave her the ability to have a child. And, and, and she has this deep connection with God. Or you see Hagar, who, who was discarded by Abraham and, and Sarah and, and found herself to be alone. And so we can say, wow, God cares about those who others don't see. But then we might ask ourselves, can God provide in a time of wilderness, <laughs> in a time of famine? Well, we have no further to look than the people of Israel in the book of Exodus, where it shows that God not only provided, he rained down food, even though they were in the midst of a desert. That's good news for when we feel like we're in the desert and we're trying to actually find out where the next meal is coming from. God can provide. Well, can Jesus save those with the past? Am I too far away? Am I too far removed from God in order to, to be able to connect him? Well, we can just look at the woman who was caught in adultery. And he says, no one else condemns you. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. God's resume is flawless. And when I read his resume, when I, when I get to know more about him, it builds my belief in who he is. But notice too that in Romans it says, hearing the, by the word of Christ. And it's interesting because for most of the time in the Bible, uh, both in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, most people were not literate. Most people did not have access to written Bibles. And so they were dependent on scribes who would uh, tell them the word. They, they were dependent on memorizing those words that they would hear and, and taking that with them. And, and now we have an embarrassment of riches. If, if you read English, you can just pick up a device like this and have access to hundreds of versions. If you don't, if you, I can go to the Bible app and find Haitian Creole if I want to read it in that way. There's so many different options that we have now, and we even have the ability to just listen to it. Just listen. I did that this week, uh, you know, while I was working out, just listening to the Psalms. And there's something about hearing the word. Hearing God's word strengthens our faith. The I, the next one, is intimacy with God. Being biblical helps increase our intimacy with God. Look at what David writes in Psalm 119.97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You see, it's a fascinating thing because we don't usually think about loving law, right? Like loving commandments, like doesn't seem like something that is, uh, brings warm and fuzzies. But, but David and God's people at this time, they understood something deep that if I wanted to know who God was, I had to look at his word. And so the more I understood that God's word was a reflection of him, the more I began to see and understand how he worked and how his mind worked, the deeper of my devotion got to who God was. He says, oh, I love your law and I meditate on it. And you know what's fascinating if you read Psalm 119 is the longest uh, chapter in the entire Bible. Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. And it's in this Psalm, Psalm 119 is a love story that is just the, where David is just gushing and reflecting over his, his devotion to God and his law. Now, here's the interesting thing. You can tell a lot about what people value by how many words they use to talk about the same thing. So, for example, if I say cheddar, paper, bread, stacks, dead presidents, you know I'm talking about money. But look at how many words we have to use to describe it because it reflects a certain value. Now, in Psalm 19, 119, in one book, one chapter, we got law, 
precepts, commands, statutes, instructions, decrees, all of these things that, that, that connect and reveal a heart for God, that, that, that's that sense of a connection. And he says, meditate on this law all the day. Now, if you have a hard time being consistent with this, join the club. I just mentioned those stats that are, we see throughout the country. And it was even hard for me when I first started uh, walking with God in college. And, and, and something significant changed. And I want to help you here because two things changed for me. It was a plan and a fast. Uh, my senior year, uh, I studied abroad uh, to Cameroon. And while I was there, uh, before I left, I picked up this little booklet, uh, Our Daily Bread, this little like devotional booklet, right? You remember those joints you see all the back of the church and you just pick up and it, and, but what it did was it allowed me to read on a day-to-day basis. Um, it had just like a devotional there. And so I started reading and the thing that, and it just built up a routine and a practice. And, but the thing that was wild that started happening was because I did that and then I had a natural fast. I didn't plan on fasting, but because this was, you know, in the late 90s and there was no technology to keep me in, in plugged in, it also meant that I was fasting from technology. So here I am in another country, just completely stripped from all the things that would distract me. And I'm with God's word and something amazing happened. God began to speak to me through this regular practice of devotional on a regular basis. I remember one thing in particular, I was trying to decide if I should invite the other people in my study, in my study abroad trip to have a uh, fellowship, like time in the word together. But I didn't want to come across as that like Bible thumper weird guy, like when we first started. So I was like, I don't know if I should do this or not. So I opened up the devotional and it talks about fellowship and the importance of fellowship. And it actually has this question at the end, who could you ask the fellowship today? I was like, yo. So then I go do it. And they're like, of course we want to do this. Thank you. And we had this incredibly rich fellowship throughout the time because I was connecting with God on a regular basis. And here's the truth. We become intimate with who or what we spend time with. You get to know the the intricacies and you become intimate. And so even in the Bridge Church devotional uh, that was talking about the Bible this past week, it quoted Warren Wiersbe, who says, we do not study the Bible just to get to know the Bible. We study the Bible that we might get to know God better. That is the outcome. That is what it creates. And so whatever your distraction might be, that this is what this time of fasting is to, to, to kind of note and to, to, to reveal to us. Because reading the text draws us closer to the one who gave us the text in the first place. And, and please hear me, God calls us for our devotion, not out of legalism, but out of love. That is the impetus here. So the second B in being biblical is to build boundaries. This is what being biblical does. It builds boundaries for us. In Psalm 119, verse nine, it says uh, this question, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. David asked a question that many of us ask, how in the world can I in the culture that I live in keep my way pure? That is a very real and honest uh, question and thing that we can all struggle with at times. 
And look at his answer to the question by guarding it according to your word. Now, just a little insight about uh, Hebraic writing. There's a, there's a term called Hebraic concretism that is being used here. So when David, or when you read in the Old Testament, when it talks about like a young man, or you read in the proverb where it says, you know, it talks about, uh, you know, uh, something about a, a husband or an older man, it is using a specific example to build out a broader illustration that's applicable to everyone. But that's just how they typically wrote. So even though David is talking, is asked about the young man, he's not only concerned about men under the age of 40 or 35 or whatever. He's saying anybody, but specifically because he's writing it from his perspective, he's saying, how can a young man keep his way pure? But he's basically bringing out the fact that it's hard to live holy, especially when you have all the passions that are going on around you. And those passions are often like fires. And the thing is, fire is not a bad thing in certain contexts. I love to cook. I use fire on my stove to cook food. I'm glad for that fire on that stove. Anybody who uses transportation to get around is glad that there's that spark that happens that causes combustion, which allows the vehicles to go. Anybody who lives in a home that has a hot boiler or a fire place that is glad for the fire that keeps the home warm. But woe to us if that fire gets out the fireplace. It devours and destroys the whole house. And in the same way, our passions need boundaries or else when they get outside of those boundaries, they burn everything around it to the ground. The Bible gives us boundaries, y'all. And those boundaries are, are things we need to thrive. We need those to thrive. But... They don't only give us boundaries for our own personal uh, passions, but they also give us boundaries to protect against the passions of others. Because you know, not everybody who's using the Bible is using it correctly, and not everybody has uh, their right intentions in mind. In fact, did you know that according to the Bible, Satan knows the Bible? Oh yes, knows it well. In fact, when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Luke chapter four, we're told that he used the Bible against the word of God. Check it, check it, don't take my word for it. In uh, Luke four, verse nine, look at this. It says, and he, and he, Satan, took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And Satan said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. <laughs> Satan is literally quoting Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. And saying, okay, 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 okay. This is the third temptation. This is the thing. Jesus, if you're really the son of God, this is what, this is what the Bible say. The Bible say that if you, if you were to fall off a, a cliff, that the angels from heaven would come down and pick you up. So just do that and prove yourself to me. And look at Jesus's response. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is like them having a lightsaber fight with God's word because he's saying, look, no, you're misinterpreting this. You're misapplying this test, Satan, this text that actually in Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, it actually clearly states that we're not supposed to test and put God to the test. So you're misapplying this. And this is why it's so important for us to be biblical because I've seen so many people get led astray by people using the text wrongly. 
And it puts, when we're biblical, it puts boundaries so that when false teachers come in, we could go, no, that's not what that means. No, you're misusing that. And, and this is why we have to be students of the word. I'm in seminary right now after years of ministry because I am still committed to understanding how to rightly divide the word of truth. And it's a communal activity as well. This is not something we're supposed to do in, in a room by ourselves. That's how many heresies has gotten started, many false teachings, because somebody read something and they're like, yo, I just got this directly from God, even though it opposes 2,000 years of church history and every interpretation that came after that, this is what it means. And that's why we have to do this in community. And I want to implore you that during this time of this fast that we have this uh, Pillars devotional that has been written for you. And this is something that we all have access to. We can get on the same page and, and reflect together. I'd encourage you to check that out. Also the midday prayer, it, 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 the Bible uh, reading and, and instruction is supposed to happen in a communal context, lest we lose those boundaries. Well, the L stands for love others. The word is not just supposed to be head knowledge, but it's supposed to be something that demonstrates itself in our love for other people. Look, look at what the apostle John writes in 1 John 3, verse 11. It says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Notice that he says, I'm not giving you nothing new. This is at this point, uh, John is old. He's considered the elder. Many people think that when he wrote this, he's in his 80s, 90s. He had been with Jesus 50 years before then. And he's saying, look, I'm not telling you something new, that this message was always there. Some people say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is mean and the God of the New Testament is loving. It's like, no, you're not reading the text because in Leviticus, he says, love your neighbor. In Genesis, he challenges Cain for killing Abel and says, where are you not your brother's keeper? This is, this is not anything new that being biblical means that we should be showing love to others. And it's the greatest tragedy that the common stereotype that exists for people who are very biblical is that they're not loving, but they're judgmental to others as well. And this is not a biblical thing itself. How do we know this? Go a few verses down after and look at what John says is the basis of our understanding of love. Verse, 1 John Chapter three, verse 16, he says, by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He's saying, look, if, if you really want to understand what God has to say about love, look in his word. And what does it tell us? By this, God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the very idea of understanding of sacrificial love. The Bible teaches that the most powerful person in the universe laid down his privilege, laid down his life for the most vulnerable in that universe, and that this is the basis by which we are supposed to do the same. This is why we serve our city. This is why we commit ourselves to this purpose as a church, because that's what the God calls us to do. That's what he reveals himself as his primary posture in his word. Being biblical means loving God and loving others. Well, the other importance is that it's instructions for life. It's instructions for life. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, 
rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God breathed divine, unique, a living word. And he says it's profitable for these very important things. He says teaching. And what we get a picture there is that teaching shows us the way that we're supposed to go, like to teach us that. But then sometimes we might get lost, right? And we get off course. So then he says it's, it's valuable and important for rebuking. Rebuking is that aspect of saying, no, you're wrong. Don't do this, do that. This is what I've revealed about what, how you're supposed to treat one another, what you're supposed to do with your body, amen, before marriage. This is so, it shows us where we've gotten off path, rebuke. But then it doesn't just rebuke us. Then it says it corrects us to show us how to get back onto the right track. And then it gets to training, which then says, now this is how you keep that way. All of these things are valuable and that are connected. So this means that being biblical means applying God's word to your life. It's not just a head exercise. Oh, you could know the word, but if you don't do the word, then what James says, what good is that? That's like looking at somebody, someone looking at themselves in a mirror, seeing that they all jacked up and still leaving. Like you got mayonnaise on the side of your mouth. You go, hmm, that's interesting. I have mayonnaise there. Oh, well. And you just keep going. He says, no, we're supposed to be hearers of the word and doers. I mean, I wish I knew Proverbs eleven fifteen before I co-signed on a credit card with somebody in my family. Then they went and ran up the bill and I didn't even know. $5,000 in debt. I ain't spent a dollar. And I call them up. They're like, well, you co-signed on it. The Bible warned me about that. I just didn't read it. I wish I had read the Bible when it said to be angry and don't sin, as opposed to losing my temper and in some cases losing relationships or even potentially losing jobs, amen, because I allowed my anger to overcome me. I wish I would have understood these things because life is complex, like Ikea furniture complex. And imagine what it would be like if you just ordered some complex wardrobe from Ikea and decide, ah, I don't need the instructions. I got the Allen wrench. Let me do my thing. You need instructions and customer service sometimes to get, understand what to do with life. To know what to do with our lives, we must read the instructions. And God has given us those instructions in his word. The next is Christ-centered. The next is Christ-centered. Now, this is a particularly important and nuanced understanding to see that uh, essentially, here's, here's the hard truth. The Bible is not primarily about you. Like, it's, it's a fascinating thing that happens when Jesus, uh, after his, his death and resurrection, Right, uh, the, there was a lot of confusion. He appeared to the women. The, the, the male disciples didn't believe the female disciples. There's another sermon for another day. And so they're still confused. And two of them started walking um, on the road to Emmaus, away, pondering these things. And they start having this conversation with Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. Jesus has disguised himself, but they're having this conversation and they're trying to make sense of it all. And this is what Luke records in verse, 20, in verse 27 of chapter 24. It says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Look at what it's saying there. He says, 
and beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, and going throughout the prophets, that's the entire rest of the Old Testament, that he interpreted, it says, to them, to these men on the road, all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. So a question we have to ask ourselves, is the, is the Bible basically about me and what I must do, or is it basically about Jesus and what he has done? You see, Jesus showed them that he is the true and better Adam who was tempted in a garden, but without sin. He showed them that he was the true and better Abel whose blood cries out from the ground, but not out of condemnation, but for salvation. He showed them that he was the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave comfort in his homeland for a place he knew not. He showed them that he was the true and better Isaac who was not just offered by his father, but actually sacrificed for the sins of the world and said, now we know that you love us because you gave your one and only son. He's the true and better Moses. Moses, who stands in the gap between his people and the Lord and saves them by giving them his law. He's a true and better Job, who was a truly innocent sufferer who actually intercedes for his friends. He's a true and better David, who actually defeats the Goliath of sin without his people having to raise one stone. He's a true and better Esther, who risked his life and said, not just if I give my life and I perish, I perish, but when I perish, I perish for my people. When we start to realize, we start to see the Bible ain't about us. It's about Jesus and how we fit into his story. And that begins to make sense of everything because living a Christ-centered life means that now I conform not to this world, but to the vision, perspective, and attitudes of our Savior. Being biblical means making Christ the center of our lives. Oh, we're there. Oh, we have meaning and we have purpose, but as a uh, derivative, as a emanation of his glow and glory. What leads us to A in biblical is adore God. Look at what David says in verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. David loved what he read about God and it caused him to love God and to adore him for who he is. The more we take in God's love letter to us, the more our love for God grows. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And the last is L, that we are to live with purpose. One of my favorite verses, also to have Pastor James, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look at that. It says we are his workmanship. The Greek word for that is poema. It means like poem, like masterpiece. God says we are his 16 bars, the best that he's written and that we're doing that. And, and so we have a purpose in the context of his song and that is to give God glory through what we do. And then look, it says that he prepared works for us to do beforehand that we should walk in them every day. We should walk in them. But what do I know is my instructions for life? Well, I have to read his word in order to understand that. I've been created for purpose. I don't just make up my own, but just like that Ikea furniture that I was created with a designer's purpose in mind of how it should be. And we, each morning, it's like God gets up and is texting us this question. 
Like he texts, Peter, do you love me? He's asking us. Or like we see in Isaiah, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which will not satisfy? He asks us, will you spend time with me? He asks us, will you trust me? And what will be our response? Now, I don't want to divide the congregation. There's a lot of polarization happening in our world. But for some of us with some type of devices, there's a bubbles that appear on the screen when a text message is, uh, is, is appearing. And it's this little, this little technology that allows me to see that when I see those bubbles, I see that the person has read my message and that they're about to respond. And what God is saying is that each morning we wake up because his mercies are new. There are more bubbles there. There's more bubbles away. Oh, what does he have for me to say? What does he want for me to say? And our choice, our option is do we respond and go, okay, I got it. Thumbs up. I'm in it. I'm pondering. I'm contemplating. I'm hitting love emojis because I'm interacting with what he's had to say to me. We have a new opportunity today, tomorrow to have the pillar of being biblical foundational to our lives. And our decision, our choice is will we allow God's word to transform us so that we can have the renewal of our mind or will we continue to be conformed to this world? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you that your word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Thank you that you have not left us without a compass, without direction, but you have pointed us into the way that we should go. Help us to be like David, that you're, 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 to love your law, to love your word, that it would be sweet to us like honey. Lord, we confess sometimes we're more distracted by the other stories and other text messages that we get in a day and not your word. Would you help us to reorient ourselves? Would you help us to change our appetite? Lord, We confess here today, sometimes we just need to ask you, help me to want to love your word. Help me to want to, because I don't even want to, and I don't even know if I care that I want to. Help me to want to. But in the meantime, while my feelings catch up with the fact of your truth, help me to just be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.